welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. On today's episode, we bring back Tara Watchorn for the second time as a guest. She is the head coach with the Stonehill College Women's Hockey Program and was an assistant coach with Hockey Canada's coaching staff that recently won the Under-18 World Championships. Tara shares her thoughts on how the Canadian team was able to make adjustments to win gold and gives us an update as she prepares for the Skyhawks first season. This was an awesome conversation with Tara, so I hope you enjoy it. Before we start the podcast, I wanted to let you know about the app in Champs App. Champs App lets you create a free, beautiful, online hockey resume to share with coaches, teams, and players. Your profile includes all the information coaches want to know to help decide if you are a player they want to keep on their recruiting radar. What makes Champs App unique is that you can then connect directly with college, prep, or team coaches, and they can then follow your updates. So when you add a new highlight video or a game to your schedule, they will automatically get notified of these changes to your profile. It's a really easy way to keep all your connections up to date. Just go to www.champs.app and click the sign up button to start your profile. And check out the links in the show notes to see a list of some of the college coaches already using Champs App that you can connect with. Stay tuned after the episode for more details on how easy it is to create your Champs App hockey resume. I am super excited to have my second returning guest to the podcast, Tara Watchorn. Tara is the head coach with the Stonehill College women's hockey team that will start their first season at the D1 level this fall. And she recently was part of the Hockey Canada coaching staff that won gold in Madison, Wisconsin at the Under-18 Girls World Championship. Welcome back to the podcast, Tara. Hi, thanks for having me. I am so delighted that you agreed to come back on the podcast. Uh, if you might remember in episode 27, when we had you on first, um, I said, I, Hey, I'd like to have you come back on, you know, in about a year to see what's going on. And now we're actually doing it. So uh, let me set the stage for folks who are listening in. Um, we're not going to go into Tara's background. We're not going to go into a huge amount of detail about like the actual Stonehill College. But what we are going to talk about is how the uh, Canadian team at the under 18 uh, tournament was able to pull off a great win to win the gold against the U.S. team 3-2 after losing the first um, round robin game 7-0. And then we're going to go into detail on what she's been up to for the last year on the recruiting side and um, just team creation side at Stonehill College. So we're just going to get right into the meat of things. Um, and for folks who were watching the under-18 tournament, you might recall that uh, Canada actually didn't do so great in the round robin game against the U.S. and were pretty much dominated throughout the, uh, that game and ended up losing 7-0, but we're down 3-0 after the first period. So maybe just take us through, you know, what that was like right after that 7-0 game. Clearly, you were outplayed um, on a variety of different ways. Um, maybe you were expecting it, maybe you weren't. The U.S. was clearly dominant in the round robin for uh, all their three games. Uh, tell us what you were thinking, you and the staff, um, after, you know, after that loss and specifically, you know, talk about you, your, the, the coaching staff was you, Howie Draper, uh, Vicky Sunahara, um, you know, what you talked about after that game. Yeah. And I might backtrack a little bit if you don't mind, because a lot sure. kind of led up to that, right? That ended up being our third game of the round robin in the tournament. But before that we had our top 40 selection camp, um, starting all the way back at the end of May, we picked our team and then we went to Blaine, Minnesota. And we actually played a, an exhibition game against the U.S., um, kind of as our first test as a team, once we selected that team. Uh, we ended up losing that game. It was not 7 nothing, but I think you look at that. We also went into the tournament, played Finland, and, and lost to Finland. And we, yeah. we got, we stole, not stole one, but we played well. We ended up getting a win against Sweden and then went into that 
that game that you referred to against the U.S. So a lot, a lot builds up to that moment. Um, did we think we were going to go in there and lose seven nothing? Definitely not. That was uh, crazy and and kind of it's tough to put um, words to it in a lot of ways. I think as a coach, you naturally come out of that game and oh, God, what do you have to change? Like your initial instinct is like, okay, what do we got to do now? But I think. The biggest thing and one of the biggest learning moments for me through this whole experience was realizing that we didn't have to blow it up. You know, we didn't have to change a lot, like to trust in the process and trust the journey we were on. You know, we really knew that we had a special group. Uh, we were saying it from the very beginning. I think building that culture was so important to us, having great people. Um, and then now it was just the performance side needed to get there. We threw so much at them. So you're constantly balancing like, did, have we thrown too much at them or have we not done enough? You know, and in your and short-term competition is such a unique animal because you can't, can't cover everything. You can't do everything. It happens so quick. So um, I know I kind of jumped around, but I mean, all those things are going through your head in that moment. And I think one of the big things, and, you know, there's no way of knowing exactly, you know, what worked and what didn't. But I think the fact that we trusted the process, we trusted where we were, and just tried to make small tweaks. And I think the biggest thing was just giving them room to breathe so that they could perform and just play hockey and do what they needed to do. And um, I think that it was definitely a, a really cool learning experience for myself and the team as a whole. So let me uh, take a step back. Um, so I didn't realize this until I looked it up on Elite Prospects, but Howie Draper has actually coached the under-18 girls team for as the head coach for several tournaments. So, and, and I believe, you know, the, the coaching staff was there for, um, you know, at least, at least several of you have been there multiple times. So maybe give a little bit of background on Howie Draper. I know he is uh, coaches at the University of Alberta, the women's team, and, um, you know, he played as, as a player at University of Alberta. And so he was a Claire Drake disciple, which many, many coaches in the NHL uh, kind of come off of that coaching tree. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about Howie and then how you and Vicky um, all worked together at, at kind of what your philosophies were for the team. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, I think if you look at it, that was Howie's third world championships and, you know, was kind of set to be the head coach for four. Four in a row, obviously COVID, um, having the other one not be able to happen. But Howie, I can't say enough amazing things. I've been uh, assistant coach with the program for three years now, and he's been the head coach each time. And um, amazing mentor. Uh, learned so much from him. You know, like you said, he's had an amazing career at the U of A um, and, and pioneering that program. And um, the way that he's able to work with our under 18 program, I think it's always that culture value driven focus and the way that he's able to unify a group um, to build that theme and to have the high standards for everyone as people and being a part of something bigger than yourself and wanting the best for the person next to you. You know, I can't, it's just, it's been amazing to see what he was able to do with this group multiple years in a row. And like I said, I've, I've learned so much from him. He really is uh, a one of a kind. And I think, you know, I think it just goes to show that if you, if you do things for the right reason, and if you want to build that team first and you want to have the girls learn how to be good teammates and people, I think it just proves that the ultimate outcome is going to be going to be great. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So I don't know how much you're allowed to tell me about what you changed for the gold medal game. So either I can tell you what I think I saw, because I went back, as, as I told you when we, we were planning this, that I was going to go back and rewatch game one and game two versus, versus uh, the U.S. Um, do you want me to start saying, here's what I think I saw change? Or do you want to share what you what it is? And then, you know, I can then probe from there. What would you prefer? 
Yeah, I want to hear your thoughts. Let's hear okay, it. So, so I think there's multiple things. It was not just one thing. One is you clearly got better goaltending um, in, in that second game. And obviously that, you know, that was shown on, you know, as the MVP of the game, uh, Mari Peterson won the, won the MVP of the game, um, I believe for, uh, uh, for the gold medal game. Um, I think getting Jada Ginla back certainly helped. Uh, she played a role. I think your special teams um, certainly played a role. You, you only got four, uh, eight minutes of penalties instead of 14 minutes of penalties. So obviously just not having to kill penalties gives you more time to create offense. Um, I think you gave less time to the U.S. top players like Sidney Morrow, Tessa Janicki, and Leila Edwards. You played more of a man-to-man -man on them, or at least when you saw them get the puck, you said, let's stop them right where they are. Uh, I saw more of five in the box, more inside the house, uh, trying to you know protect the net a little bit more, not as spread out. Um, and at the end of the day, I thought you also just got a little bit better luck because you still got outshot. Um, you know, Tessa Janicki hit the post, I think, with a minute and a half left or so. Um, and that could have been a difference in the game if it had gone in. So those, those are my amateur, you know, just watching it on TV kind of perspective. How close did I get? I, I don't think you're wrong in any capacity. I mean, I think, you know, all of those things play into it, you know, and uh, it's crazy when never it comes down to one game, you know, you can try to pick and choose, but there's so many things at play, but I think you definitely, uh, definitely aren't wrong there. Um, and to build off of it, I think, and kind of like I was talking about before, you know, it is a journey. And I think the fact that after that 7 nothing loss, we got another game to play, which I think was so valuable getting to play that quarterfinal. Um, and then facing that adversity, you know, they always say like the team that doesn't ever lose in the round robin, you know, there's almost, it's kind of that monkey on your back, like, but does, you know, does facing adversity help, right? I think all of that stuff kind of cued us up nicely. And I think for us, it was kind of like I said earlier, it was, you know, just let them play. And I, and I think it was confidence building over time throughout the tournament, I think helped individually and as a team, how we were going to function as a team what was going to be our on ice identity how were we going to execute and um i think that by the by the time we got to that gold medal game like we just really felt confident in our mentality how we were going to go out there and we kept talking about how we had to play a blue collar style game um you know getting pucks in deep and i think a lot of we tried to educate the girls on just the momentum swings of a game, like how important changes were, how important it was to try to maintain possession in the offensive zone and change during those moments and, and have them understand and buy into the little things in a game that are just going to then allow them to execute and use their skills, right? So I think all of that kind of built up over the tournament and they, they really bought in and I think bought in for each other. So to me, it was like everything you just said for sure, but a combination of just the culture we built and the game plan and the mentality and having that come together perfectly in the moment. And uh, the girls came up flying, there's no doubt. Gotcha. So was there any player or coach that like kind of gave a little speech that kind of, you, you know, they, they talk about how after the Colorado Avalanche won the cup that, you know, um, I think it was Andrew Cogliano made a little speech beforehand and talking about how, he, you know, he never won a cup and this was his opportunity and all this kind of stuff. Was there any speech that kind of came from any of your players or coaches that you kind of felt had a real impact that, that kind of really got the team motivated and focused? there's everyone kind of had their moment. And I think that's what was really cool about our staff and our team, you know, the way that how we really empowered Vicky and I and our extended staff and everyone played a really big uh, role, you know, whether there was moments where I spoke up about different things in my experiences and things that I've learned. And Vicky, I mean, she just is so passionate and uh, so motivating. There was a moment where she really spoke up to after that seven, nothing loss and, 
um, just such an inspirational staff. And then there were players that stepped up. You know, I think one thing I think that allowed us to have success was we did meet with the leadership group regularly and really, really empowered them to have a voice. And we would bring other players in to meet on a consistent basis and, and just really having people feel like they, they had a voice in this. And um, our big thing was that we lead all 23 players are leaders and that we lead as 23. And I think there were all moments in the locker room and team meetings where different people stepped up and had something to say and all of it was valuable. So based on this experience, which like one or two players do you think are, are just like really surprised you and really have a bright future of them potentially with Hockey Canada as uh, they kind of move into the senior ranks? Yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough one to say. I mean, they're so young, you know, and I don't know if I could definitely have a, you know, a bias towards one or the other, but like they all have such promising careers ahead. I guess, you know, personally, I can speak to our decor. You know, I worked with the D and, you know, that was just such an honor for me and a privilege to work with such high caliber players. I mean, our decor was strong top to bottom from our rookies to our vets. Um, just such an amazing presence and offensive ability uh, I have not worked with a decor like that in my life. It was pretty, pretty cool to see, you know, they're all threats when they're out there and the way to see them come together and really own their role in the team. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. So, um, I don't know if you saw the hockey TV feed of your games, but instead of showing commercials in between breaks, they just showed the benches. And so I saw you on the bench quite a bit. And during those breaks, I saw you playing with your ear quite a bit. Um, did you have an earpiece in your ear? And were you talking to some folks upstairs and then during breaks, like pulling it out so you could talk to the players? Like, and, and what information were you getting from upstairs or whoever the eye in the sky was? Yeah, that's really insider information there. But yes, I was the coach with the earpiece, you know, with um, international rules. That's something that you're allowed to have. And a lot of teams do utilize that. And it's kind of a dual. Every team uses it differently. For me, that was the first time I've ever worn it. So, I mean, great learning experience that way. Um, but yeah, it was either having it in to, you know, having it out to talk to the girls or vice versa. Um, but connected to our video coach. So I think in moments where you can get some feedback or if you don't want her to clip something specific or if she saw something in video that we maybe didn't see. Um, and then obviously, and then to uh, another coach in the stands and just kind of having that dialogue because the eye in the sky can a lot of the time see things a lot differently than on the bench. So it was uh, a cool, cool experience. Any example of something where they saw that, that you were able to apply during a game? Or is that a, a secret that you can't share with me? Yeah, it was unique because um, for our tournament, we weren't allowed to utilize uh, the replay capability for like offsides and, and things like that. Like they used video to, um, to review goals, I think. But other than we weren't allowed to use coaches challenges. Um, so it more was just practice in a lot of ways. And I think that's the big thing. What's really cool within, you know, the program in general is that this is a, a development opportunity for staff and for players, you know, at the U18 level. So to kind of build in those habits and to build in, um, you know, having those roles and, and doing that kind of stuff. So we couldn't actively, you know, challenge plays, but um, technically having that earpiece would allow you to have a little bit more concrete information if you were going to challenge. Yeah, I got you. Okay, so I, I have two more questions about, about, uh, about the under 18. So one is if, if, if I was to share with somebody uh, you know, here's one actual practical thing that the the Canadian team did differently between the first game and the gold medal game. You know, what what is it that you you know that that you can share about kind of generally speaking that you did differently? Yeah, blue collar hockey, just owning that. I think that was the biggest thing. Uh, I, I kind of mentioned it too. I think getting pucks in and working to own pucks and manage it and 
to manage the shifts and just be able to control the game that way. Those are all things that if you work hard enough, you really can um, have a little bit more control over of with the, you know, the momentum of the game. So I think that was the biggest thing, just really, really owning our blue collar mentality and, and working hard on offense, realizing it is just as hard to work as it is on defense to get those offensive opportunities and to be able to battle offensively to create those scoring chances. Awesome. Awesome. So what I did see was just, it seemed like the U.S. had more overall skill level, like the average skill level may have been a little bit higher, but your team play in that gold medal game is really what what, what wanted for you. Um, so so congratulations. I do have one more follow-up question. So here's a question from someone who wants to play at the under-18 level who is also a defenseman. So the question is, what top five skills do you look for for someone who could play at the under-18 tournament? <laughs> that is a great and loaded question. I will say what's really cool uh, that it's bigger than me as a coach in a lot of ways. And I really, really love our process with Hockey Canada. You know, we have regional scouts that are everywhere that watch players from, you know, when they're kids all the way up to when they're that age group, they can be selected, right, to high performance teams for their province and country. So I think, you know, by the time that players even get to our coaching staff and get to that U18 camp and tryout, you know, they have been watched by some amazing scouts that really, really donate their time to to put together our pool. And, you know, it's so nice for us in that environment because now as coaches, like, we have the top 40 players in our country. Like, you really can't go wrong, right, in those moments. But I can speak individually for me as a coach and what I look for. You know, sure. I think um, obviously you need a, a foundational skill set that allows you to play at the pace of that level, right? So it's a baseline skating ability and you know, I like to say five foot uh, puck skills. So you're, the puck skills immediately around your area. But I think what then continues to separate players at the next level, and I, I always say this, you know, whether it's to recruits or anyone in the hockey world, you know, I think there's a functional skill set that allows you to play with others, play with others at a high pace, play with others under pressure. Um, I think pass reception, ability to protect pucks, um, you know, to be impactful when you're on the ice. Um, I think th those type of skills that they sound more simple than they are, um, but those are the ones that really, I think, continue to separate you at the next level. Um, your transitional skating, right? Your strength, um, just to be able to uh, have an impact every time you're on the ice. And I, and I think at this age group beyond that, you know, when you can shoot the puck, when you can be a threat, you know, whether it's for D or forwards, when you can shoot off the pass and you consistently make the people around you better. You know, all those things, I think, in general, whenever you make that jump to the next level, those are the things that are going to allow you to keep growing, you know, at that level. Because when you get when you get to the best in the world or the best in your country or the best in college, you know, skating the puck end then isn't a thing that's done as often, right? So I think exactly. that type of skill set is so valuable. And can you just clarify uh, your first comment around uh, handling the puck within a five-foot radius? What exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, that's more just like your your puck control skills in general, right? And and where there's nothing else influencing you. It's just your ability to skate and handle a puck within the area around your body. And then you could extend that, and I stole a lot of this from Mike Ellis, actually. Um, you know, you can look at your 10-foot skill set. So that's your ability to make that 5-foot, 10-foot pass, maybe through seams around people, uh, receive 5-foot, 10-foot passes. And then, you know, you look at your 20-foot, you know, your plays that you can make from there. And there's a skill set that goes into that to be able to make those plays. Um, and a lot of it's just being able to do that with your head up. That obviously looks a lot more simple than it actually is, too. So that's a way of kind of breaking down the different 
different level skill set. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to answer that question because you know, it does come up a lot of like, okay, what does it take to be a good defenseman? Um, I was at a boys uh, showcase a couple weeks ago and, um, you know, one of the kids asked one of the college coaches kind of that exact same question and you, you get slightly different answers, but it, it's good for them to hear it um, as exactly, okay, this is, you know, and then then, you, then these players should be going and asking their coaches, how am I doing on these attributes, right? How well am I doing these things and where can I work? What can I work on to get there? Okay, beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Now let's yeah. transition to your day job at uh, Stony yeah. Hill College. So when we last left you, you had, uh, you know, just, you know, been announced uh, within a, a month or two of uh, becoming the head coach at Stonehill, and you had no players, no schedule. Uh, you had a <laughs> rink and, and uh, the ability to create a team. So we're now about, uh, by the time this gets out, somewhere around 75 days, give or take, before your first exhibition game against the University of Moncton. Um, so let me start off with the most basic question is, uh, um, you know, tell us about actually just creating the schedule and what, the, what, what that was like. Because I saw that, um, you know, you're going to play all the Newha games, so that's the conference you're going to be in. Plus you have um, additional games against some non-conference teams like UConn, Brown, RPI, Dartmouth, and Syracuse. So just talk about how the schedule got made for, for Stonehill. Yeah, well, crazy to think that it's been a year now. Yeah, it was right around this time a year ago I took the job and just, a, a, you know, a blank canvas. And it's been it's been unbelievable. I can't say enough good things about this community here and the ability to kind of grow within it. But our schedule is really exciting. It, it was something that was a priority to me. I think when you look at it, making all the little decisions around the program all go into you know, creating that high performance environment and creating that culture that we want to build and a schedule is part of it. I wanted to have a strong division one schedule. You know, I think opening up against uh, UConn as our first official game is definitely one way to get going and get your feet wet. Um, but I think all of that, that's what the girls signed up for. They signed up for a division one experience. And I think to be able to experience that and play against some more established teams and programs um, that have had success, I think will be really cool for them. And, you know, I think the building the schedule, it's a combination of just, you know, reaching out. I think our location really lends itself to be able to build a nice at a conference schedule being so close. You know, you look at a Brown, uh, that's 30 minutes for both of us, you know, so we got to do a home and home situation and similar to UConn, not being very far to be able to do a home and home with them. And um, I think that's uh, definitely really exciting and also excited to have the University of Moncton come in. Uh, you know, I know their coach there, I actually coached with them at Team Canada camp last summer. That's um, the connection, and, all right. And yeah. had that connection. And I think getting to play against those U sports schools in Canada are really strong. And I think that will be a great test to get us going and obviously fun to play against good friends in the coaching world. So um, am I correct in, uh, in in my assessment of the schedule and that you actually don't have to get on a plane ever to go to any of your games? Is that correct? It's all by bus? Technically, yes. All this year, it's, uh, yeah, because we actually, we have Lindenwood coming to us. Uh, so that's probably our furthest opponent, them coming to us. And then um, Syracuse is a bus too, and so is Dartmouth. And yeah, so we have a pretty good, pretty good schedule. Okay, and, and I'm curious, how come you didn't decide to play like Wisconsin, Ohio State, Minnesota back-to-back -back, um, you know, and, and get on a plane? Because uh, th that would be a fun uh, you know, way to start your year. Um, so so good, excellent choice not to play any of those WCHA teams in your first year. I, I, I'm thinking uh, that that's probably a, a, a thoughtful, strategic choice for, uh, for, your, for your schedule. All right, so um, talk about then about building the team. So first off, I do know that you, you hired a, an assistant coach, Megan Myers. I did see her um, a few weeks ago in Rochester. 
Rochester. She was scouting right after the under 18s. You, um, I'm sure you were taking the week off, but she was in Rochester mm -hmm. scouting the Kathy Pippi Rice Prospects uh, Showcase. So yeah. tell us about uh, that hire and, uh, you know, are you looking, where are you at with the, just the staff side of things? Yeah, I can't say enough amazing things about Megan. I feel so grateful that, hey, I even got to have, um, you know, another staff member, another coach to do this with, you know, that year before, you know, not every program, the coach has been lucky enough to kind of have that support. So it's kind of been me and her. And to be honest with you, I had her in mind when I took the job, you know, as I was looking into it, I, I, uh, I know her. We played professionally together for the Boston Blades back in the day. And um, like I said, I very much had her in mind. I think, you know, as a young head coach, the last thing I need to be worrying about is, you know, having the, the same values and trust with your assistant and very much so. Um, the trust is there. I know we share the same values and I know that she brings a skill set to the table that's different than mine. And, and that's what it's all about is having a staff that challenges you and, and helps bring other things to the table. You know, she helped start Becker College's program from scratch. And her experience in that is so invaluable. All the little details you don't think about. It's always like, I don't want to forget what questions to ask, right? So to have someone that's been through that, I think is just amazing. She has been, obviously, with me being gone with Team Canada and things like that. I mean, just holding down the fort and she just continues to um, impress me every day. I no doubt she would, but even beyond. Um, and then beyond that, we have a couple student managers on board as well that are kind of queued up to help us out. And we are in the process of onboarding our second assistant, um, which I'm really excited about. I can't give you any sneak peeks, but keep an eye out for that one. Uh, really, really excited about the staff that we have. And I think our girls are going to be so lucky to have amazing mentors uh, to learn from. Yeah, so I, hopefully the tradition continues is after, right after our podcast was released last year, you had two announcements. Who, one was, was your, your assistant coach and then uh, your first commit uh, happened within a week or two of, of, of our conversation. So, um, all right. So tell us what your, remind us again, what your overall roster strategy was, at least going into recruiting season last year and where you're at today. Because right now, at least in the public domain, it looks like you only have five forwards and one D as committed for uh, 2022. And I know that is not correct. Um, maybe just tell us where you're at with uh, your inaugural team and then kind of, um, you know, where you're at for 2023. And obviously 2024 is just getting underway. So give us the update yeah. on the strategy and then the actual execution. Yeah, we are really excited about the girls that we have coming in next year. Um, you know, I think like we maybe chatted about in terms of our strategy, it was such a unique time to build a program. Um, coming out of a pandemic, you know, that 04 birth year class um the 2022s is the ones that are you know gonna make up the majority of our roster uh for our inaugural season and i think that class went through a lot you know the early recruiting there where a lot of their peers committed in the ninth and tenth grade and then the rule change happened um then the ones that weren't committed yet had to wait until june 15th after grade 10 and then the pandemic hit <laughs> so i think that it was a really, really opportunistic time to build. I, I felt like there were a lot of great players who were still out there that could help, you know, help build our team. And uh, I like to think that we have a, a good amount of them coming in. You know, I think our class, our freshman class is going to be roughly around 18 and uh, so four transfers to join. So yeah. 18 freshmen. So that was the choice you made. So you did. The, so you could have bulked up on transfers that were coming in that second, third or fourth year. And you chose no, to go primarily freshmen and, and carry them through for, for four years. That, that's, that's actually a bit of a surprise. What was the thinking behind 18 freshmen? 
Yeah. And I think part of it was I had a plan, right? And, you know, I had a vision in my mind, but, you know, and I knew transfers hopefully were going to play a role for, for multiple reasons, right? It, it's spots that turn over quicker so we can, you know, backfill as we front fill, you know, bring transfers, bring in a lot of valuable experience at the division one level, uh, the college level um, and that, that leadership. But at the same time, there was never any guarantee, right? Like that, we would get through the whole year and then all of a sudden we were just going to get to handpick like 10 transfers out of the transfer portal. Like there was just never any guarantee of that. So I think like the combination of feeling really, really, you know, good about that 04 group that was still out there and knowing that it wasn't going to be a guarantee once all of a sudden you get to the end of the season, which is when a lot of girls start to go in into the transfer portal. Um, that was a little bit of the combination. So I felt like if we got to a place as the year went on, um, you know, I felt like if we got to a place where we felt good about our core, then we could top it up, right? We, it, as long as we knew we were going to have enough to begin with. So that's kind of how it ended up all, you know, playing out. I mean, three of those freshmen are um, overagers. So we'll come in with a little bit more experience and maturity just in terms of their birth year. Um, which I think is always always a good thing. I mean, 18, it's still crazy to think that as a true freshman, that's how how young you are. But um, like I said, I mean, really excited. We kind of got to that point, um, like I said, where we had the core of our roster as we, you know, approached the end of last, you know, playing season. And what I think, what I'm so excited about, we have girls coming from everywhere, you know, whether it's all over Canada, from Nova Scotia to Saskatchewan, um, all over the U.S. from Washington State to, uh, you know, our local Massachusetts girls, uh, Minnesota, New Hampshire, and uh, in the tri-state area. So I, I'm really excited. I think that's the value. And, you know, as much as it is, you learn from the coaches and the staff. But, you know, the fact that I always say, like, you get all of these young women in one room, in one locker room, who are so dedicated to the same thing and have, you know, achieved their dream of getting to the college level a little bit differently, depending on where you're from. I think that's the value in that experience and that they get to learn and grow together. And the bond that they're going to have being a, a part of this inaugural class is pretty exciting. But the last thing I'll say, I'm really excited as well of our four transfers um, coming in. I think that, you know, we, we were a little bit picky because I think the dynamic, and I know a lot of the Ivy League schools kind of went through this this year because they didn't play. But the dynamic of having an upper class uh, that is the minority is very unique, right? And so for us, I think it was really important that that group that we have coming in as our upperclassmen are very much an extension of our staff, you know, strong characters that are going to have that patience and working with that group of freshmen um, that are going to be able and have the maturity to lead by example um, and to bring something off the ice as much as on the ice. And so we're really excited about the transfers that we have coming in too, to give us some experience um, and uh, to help lead the way. Gotcha. Okay. So I have two couple of follow-up questions. First, um, any Europeans um, that you have coming in? Yes, we do. We have a defenseman coming from Sweden. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, and the second question is, what was it in, you know, your pitch to convince these girls to come, come play at Stonehill? What was the number one kind of key factor that said, that's the reason why I want to come to Stonehill? Uh, obviously, great school. Um, but, you know, how much it was the, hey, I'm going to be part of the inaugural team that really sets kind of the standard and the, 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 um, kind of where the history of the, this club is going to be starting from. Yeah, I think no doubt it was, it's a huge piece of it, right? And, and it's not for everyone. I think to some people it's exciting. Yeah, getting to be part of an inaugural team. Um, and those are the girls that we have, you know, 
the girls that wanted to take a chance with us on this, that wanted to be part of something new and wanted to be a part of making history and leaving their mark on a school and a program. And definitely that's something that I think all of our girls are really excited about and something that in a lot of ways, you know, I just got to sell my vision, right? We got to sell our vision for the program and being a part of, of history. And, and I think that was a huge sell, but it's funny, you know, when we released the roster and we, we got all this information about the girls, we had them answer, you know, why Stonehill? And I think if you look at those answers, a lot of it's just the community here. And it's so funny because it was so similar to my experience in taking the job. Like I was attracted to the opportunity because of the, the newness and the excitement of building something, but it was the people when I got here and it was the community that made me want to do it. That, that was the selling feature. And I think all of the girls that we got to have on campus and, and experience what we have going on here at Stonehill, I think they all fell in love with that community feel, um, the same feel that I fell in love with. And I think that's a combination of both. Gotcha. Okay, cool. All right. And so from where you sit on the bus, what was the hardest part about building the team and just building the overall club, so to speak, uh, over the last year? In terms of the recruiting side of it, the personnel side? Everything. Building the whole team. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're doing more than just building uh, just, just the recruiting side of things. Uh, you know, it might be just getting the rink ready or getting the locker rooms ready. Who knows? What was the hardest part? Yeah, and we're still kind of in it, I think. Yeah, it's been... It's, I think time will tell. I feel really excited about the girls we have and how everything's gone on the recruiting side of things, excited about our staff. And now it's all the little details, right? And just making sure things are ready for when the girls get here. I think that's a little bit of the stressful part of it, but all in a good way. Uh, so I think that's probably um, the hardest part is just trying to think ahead of all the things that are going to play a role when it comes to that opening game or the, when they first get on campus. Uh, I feel really good about where we're at, but there's always something to be done. So we're, we're counting again. We're competing with the clock now. So I probably would, could tell you in all honesty, I'm maybe more stressed now than I've ever been, but in the best way. Like, I feel so good about where we're at and um, so lucky to have the village of people helping us that we do. Gotcha. And, and how are you managing expectations for the on-ice performance? So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we had Bethany Browson on from St. Thomas, um, you know, before the season started. And, you know, they, they, they did quite well considering they play in the WCHA, but they only won five mm -hmm. games. So, you know, what, what would you consider success for next year in terms of managing expectations? I like that question a lot because there really is, there's so many unknowns. And, and what I do tell a lot of people is, when you have 18 freshmen, you just never know, right? And and when you have a team that's brand new that has never been together before, you just never know. And in a lot of ways, funny and it kind of connects this whole conversation, but it's very much like a short-term competition, how I we have to view our preseason because we're trying to get an entire team on the same page in a matter of five weeks in person and some virtual sessions leading up to it. So I think realizing that, realizing that the runway's short. It's a brand new team where we have to come together. Um, it's not just a group of five new freshmen that we have to onboard, right? So it's completely unique in that way. So I think being realistic of your expectations and what you, you know, will, what you'll, you know, want to see in game one is going to be very different than what we're going to expect midway down the road. And hopefully, you know, as we get into playoffs. So um, the way that I've kind of framed it is that it's a journey. It's a journey over the course of the year. It's not that we don't want to win every game we play, but it's just knowing that, you know, we're not going to have everything in place by game one. So it's kind of having that short-term competition mentality. It's what are the habits you're going to outline and 
what's the foundation you're going to set that we can then grow from over the course of the year. But I mean, beyond the hockey side of it, it's we get a chance to define what it means to be a Stonehill women's ice hockey player this year. And, and that first and foremost is the priority. You know, what does it mean to us to represent this school and this community? How are we going to how are we going to interact with the community around us? How are we going to, you know, what values are we going to live by? What's the standard we're going to set? And all of that comes first and foremost, and then the hockey side will come later. But that's that's the fun part. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so I am going to go back to the recruiting side of things. With 18 freshmen, what is the impact on then recruiting in the out years? Because if uh, assuming that they all stick around and keep going, those are 18 spots that are going to take up four years of, uh, of your team's roster. So kind of what's the plan for 2024s, 2025s? Is it just like, hey, you're only going to have like three or four spots you expect for, for those out years? And, and basically, and then again, in oh, let me do the math, 2026, you're going to have to fill, you know, 18 spots. Is what, What's the plan? <laughs> Yeah, great question. I think for me, um, we're really now just looking to bring in game changers, right? And and we're always looking to bring in game changers, but now we we don't have a heavy need in terms of numbers, right? But you know, just you know, making decisions on how we spent versus spaces available and the numbers of our roster, all of those things are constantly moving parts. But feel uh, excited about hopefully bringing in you know two to three great players in each class underneath. I think that's gonna you know, you know, maybe more transfers are a part of the, the, you know, the equation, which would have those spots continue to roll over quicker. Um, so the classes behind this one are naturally going to be smaller and smaller classes. Um, and then there's a chance that we could get inflated in years three and four, you know, looking at more of your high 20s. But the ultimate goal being not recruiting 18 people all over again <laughs> in that right. following year, right? So I think you almost, you have to get a, maybe a little bit inflated um, in order and our roster size is smaller still so it gives us room to build underneath as well as when those transfers graduate out before the freshmen so having those two moving pieces helps for sure um, not get super inflated but there will be that element because the ultimate goal will be not recruiting 18 again <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly because I spoke with uh, Rob Morgan from Long Island University and he kind of ran into that problem this year because he yeah. had a whole bunch of players that have come up and then you know he had to deal with uh, kind of roster management of having almost 30 players in, in that fourth or fifth year. So um, okay. that's something to, to, to think about. Um, all right, so I do, do have a couple more questions. Um, I'm gonna follow up my question from last year, which is, uh, have you requested yet to join the Beanpot Tournament? <laughs> Not formally, no. <laughs> okay, you're, you're sure. Okay, all right, all right, all right. So, I got that. All right, so, um, so given where we're at in, you know, uh, roughly the middle of July right now, um, are, are you now, you know, 90, 95% focused on uh, the, the upcoming season? Or, you know, are you still doing a little bit of recruiting? Are you still going to some events um, and recruiting uh, at, uh, you know, let's say the Beanpot, um, sorry, not the Beanpot, the Beantown tournament coming up, you know, at the end of July? Yeah, very much always recruiting, right? I think recruiting is like a lot of coaches say, it's a lifeblood of your program. It's it's nice now. You know, it's, it was so cool to be able to hit the road with Megan. We did a lot together, partially because we just like being together, but another, you know, to get on the same page. And in a lot of ways now, I get to have her kind of take over, like, and manage the recruiting side of things so I can be a little bit more focused here at home. But, you know, recruiting never stops, obviously, with the 2024 class being a recruitable age now. There's, you know, we're managing that. And I think thinking about getting girls on campus once 
you're allowed to do that, but we'll definitely still be at all the big tournaments. I think like a bean town to us is so valuable because we're right here. Um, and having that many people come to the Boston area is always, uh, it never, never hurts. So the recruiting will never end to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And then, uh, you know, the, the typical question that I ask is what advice do you have for players now who are, you know, still looking for a spot in 2023 or just keep getting underway for the 2024 recruiting class, uh, based on your actual experience of what you saw over the last year, I'm sure you saw a lot of stress on, uh, some of these players about finding, finding a spot. Cause there's just not as many as there were a few years ago, uh, uh, given all the dynamics of, of COVID and the transfer portal, et cetera. Yeah, that, you're right. I think there's been a ripple effect. You know, I alluded to the 04 class and everything that they went through and from the recruiting experience and very much it's affected the 05s and the 06s. You know, this extra year of eligibility will have a ripple effect for a little while to come um, with the roster size of D1 teams. I think what's really exciting is the expansion, you know, of our league and our teams to be able to hopefully help the other provide other great division one homes because the women's game's growing and there's a lot of great division one caliber players out there and I think with the addition of us hopefully there's more homes to play um but you know in terms of advice I think you know acknowledging that it is a unique environment I think you know some of it is out of your control and that's not ideal or fair in a lot of ways but you know just trying to control what you can control and I think we've talked about in the past and I know a lot of people will say reaching out over email and keeping coaches up to date. You know, I think I, I say this a lot, like it's about the right fit as much as, so there's a lot of moving parts in that, whether academically, what you want, the finances of it all, you know, what you're looking for out of your experience. So I think the more that as an, an athlete, a student athlete, you can identify what you're trying to identify what you're looking for and then just have faith in your process. You know, D1 might be it, you know, a new D1 school might be it use for division three, your process, you know, you're just because like, so for Megan, for example, um, she played at Utica college, arguably a division one caliber player that played at Utica college, played at the D three level. She was an all American and was just inducted into their hall of fame. You know, like your experience is what you make of it. And it doesn't make it any better or worse, depending on, but find a school that you feel passionate about. You can go and get the experience that you want to get. And, you know, I think it's good to have division one goals and, um, you know, maybe a specific team you might want to play for, but have confidence in your journey and college is just one piece of it. And hockey is just one piece of it. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. I want to wrap this up. Uh, so remind folks how they can, uh, you know, raise their hand and say, maybe get on their, your radar uh, if they are interested in Stonehill College or at least learning more. Yeah, for sure. Our emails are on the website. Um, definitely don't ever hesitate to reach out. It uh, takes a village. And like I said, the recruiting never ends. So any way that you want to support or be a part of this program, or maybe you want to play here one day, never hesitate to reach out. And I did notice there was a place to make a donation to the hockey team as well on uh, on the, the team page. So uh, that's another opportunity to help support the Stonehill College women's ice hockey program. So Tara, thank you so much. I'm going to invite you on again a year from now after uh, the end of your season. And so we could talk about, you know, before, kind of right before and then after what that first season was like. Uh, can, will you take me up on my offer? I think so. I think we have a ritual going here. So we'll keep okay. it going. <laughs> the annual Tara Watchorn podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tara. And, and obviously the best of luck this fall. Obviously we'll be watching you and, uh, and hopefully uh, you'll be putting up a lot more wins than, uh, than you're setting the expectation for folks right now. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. I appreciate it. I really want to thank Tara for coming back on the podcast. And I'm looking forward to seeing how the Skyhawks do this coming season. If you'd like to learn more about the Stonehill Women's Program or want to connect with Tara, you can find links to the team website 
and Tara's Champs app profile in the show notes. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to share more about the app in Champs app. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know I spend a lot of time talking with coaches, parents, and players about the hockey recruiting process. One of the key questions that people want to know is, how does a player get noticed by college coaches? While there are many ways to be discovered, the easiest way to get on a college's radar is to send a coach an email and provide them all the information they need to assess if you are a player worth keeping their eyes on. That's where the app part of Champs app comes in. Champs app was designed based on all the conversations and feedback we received about the recruiting process, and we built a tool to help players and coaches connect with a ton of the information they want to know. It all starts with creating a free, beautiful Champs app profile. After that, there are some pretty magical things that can happen to help make the recruiting process a little less overwhelming. Your Champs app profile includes all the basic academic, personal, and athletic information coaches want to know. Then, by including video, schedule information, and your coach's contact details, colleges can easily start their evaluation process. You just copy and paste your personalized link and send it to coaches so they can see your public player profile without even having to log in or create a Champs app account. Or you can connect directly with coaches on Champs app. More and more coaches are creating their own Champs app profiles and connecting with players themselves every day. Now coaches can have all the information they need to assess where you might fit in their recruiting plans. Even better, college coaches can track your progress throughout the winter and showcase seasons. Because as you make changes to your profile, coaches will get notified to your updates. And in the future, we will be adding even more amazing features to improve your visibility to the recruiting process and hopefully increase your odds of success. If you want to see what a player or coach profile looks like before you start your own, look in the show notes to see some examples. My kids and I have used Champs app for their recruiting process. In fact, my son was invited to a AAA tryout thanks to his Champs app profile. So go to www.champs.app and start your player or coach profile. It only takes about 15 to 20 minutes to complete most of your key information. Good luck, and please let us know how it helped with your recruiting journey.